Section 11 of David and His Friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. David and His Friends, a series of revival sermons by Louis Albert Bates. Hunger, the Best Sauce. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. Psalm 81, verse 10. This is one of the Psalms of Asaph. It is a call to worship, a call to new consecration to God in consideration of his mercies to this people. The people are called upon to remember that it was God who delivered their shoulders for the burden of slavery and who, in many a strange and trying place, had interfered in their behalf. And they are assured that all they need in order to receive a great blessing is a good appetite to appreciate the mercies of God. Hunger is always the best sauce. The best viands ever cooked for a prince's table are wasted unless those that come to the feast have a desire for food. Many a man has found a crust of bread in the desert or on the mountains a richer dainty than the most delicious culinary combinations of some city chef. In one case, he was hungry, and in the other, he was not. There is no limit to God's mercy and love when we are willing to receive. This is an age of great wealth, of immense riches, but there are no riches like the mercies of God. Henry Ward Beecher says that once when he was in the White Mountains in New Hampshire, he asked the man who lived there, What do you call riches up here? The reply was, A farmer who is not in debt and has $5,000 at interest is called rich. At Concord, he asked, What is being rich in this community? Well, if a man is not in debt and has fifty to seventy-five thousand dollars, he is considered passing well off. He came down to New York and asked, What is it to be rich here? Ah, it would be very difficult to tell. Does having ten thousand dollars make a man rich? No. Twenty thousand? No. Fifty thousand? No. A hundred thousand? No. Two or three hundred thousand? No. A million? Yes, a man begins to be considered rich when he gets up to the millions. But it takes more now than it did in Mr. Beecher's day in New York to be called rich. The papers have been discussing for months the disinheriting of four young men who has received only six millions from his father's vast estates. You see, there are different degrees of being rich. But as Mr. Beecher says, when you rise from all inferior things, and God talks about being rich, God, that out of the seed bag of the universe threw out worlds for shining seeds, that dwells in eternity, that is father of all things that are far beyond the sweep of the mind glass, when he says he is rich, how rich he must be. And when he says he is rich in mercy, 
Oh, what an affluence. Oh, what a power. Oh, what a grandeur there is in that. How clearly Paul sets forth his conception of the abundance of God's mercy and power to help and save us when he says in his letter to the Ephesians, God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead, hath quickened us together with Christ and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now it is this God who is rich in mercy and has abundance of blessings in his hands, blessing beyond all our power to conceive. It is this God who says to us, Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. The text tonight ought to take out of your thoughts entirely the excuse that you are not fit to become a Christian, and that you are afraid you wouldn't pull it out if you came. What fitness? For his dinner does a hungry man need. There are only two things in the world. One is an invitation to the table, and the other is hunger. And if you have both, and the dinner is good and abundant, then there is nothing to keep him from satisfaction, unless he is foolish enough to stay away, refuse his invitation, and in spite of his hunger, starve in the presence of the feast. Put out of your heart forever that you must be fit to come. We sing sometimes, all the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. And that states the case exactly. I read to you for the evening lesson that very remarkable story that is told in Matthew's Gospel of the woman down in the land of Tyre and Sidon followed after Jesus and his disciples, begging that her little girl who was grievously tormented by a devil might be healed. Mark Guy Pierce, commenting on this story, well says that this woman had everything against her. If ever there was a woman who could have made an excuse that she was unfit to come, it was this poor woman. But she was not hunting for excuses, but for divine help. Her mother love for her little girl drove her forward and made her deaf to all rebuke and hardened her against all opposition. She did not care what difficulties she had to overcome. If only her little girl was saved from this demon tyranny that possessed her. The haughty Jews about her counted her as a poor heathen woman and hissed out, Dog! as they passed her in the streets. Had she of gaining any favor of the son of David? I don't suppose this woman knew very much about Jesus. I suppose she knew nothing about the prophecies concerning him. All she knew was some rumors which had come to her that he had a kind heart and that he was able to dispossess those who were tormented with devils. Hearing that he was passing by, she left her afflicted little daughter with a neighbor and hurried out to seek Jesus, 
saying in her heart, I will just ask him to help me. He will look upon you as a heathen and altogether beneath his notice, somebody said, probably her husband. Well, I will just tell him what trouble we are in and how the poor little thing is tormented. And if he is so kind and gracious as they say, I am sure he will pity and help me. I shall not lose anything by asking anyhow. It will not make her any worse. I will go and ask him. And so, taking courage of her mother-in-law, and having nothing to plead except her great need, she went out to find Christ. Oh, my friend, I wish you would act on that logic tonight. Why do you not say within yourself, if he forgives the sins of others, if he makes their burdens light and their hearts happy, I think he will have mercy on me. I will ask him all the more to pity me and bless me because I am so weak and helpless. If you will do that tonight, you have God's promise here in the text. I am the Lord thy God. Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. In order to encourage yourself, take up the story of that poor woman again. She came to the place where Christ and his disciples were and found the door shut against her. But she felt she could not go back to that sick child without help. And so she patiently waited and watched until after a while someone opened the door and like a flash she slipped through into the room and falling down on her face before Christ cried out, with all her heart and her voice, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Instantly, the mind of Jesus took the measure of her unconquerable, resistless love, and delighting in it, he determined to draw out its fullness. He answered her not a word, but, rising, went forth from the house with the disciples. It was strange. Had she not heard that he was all tenderness and pity? Never a word. And perhaps that very face turned from her, lest she should perceive the love that the lips seemed to deny. Like Naaman, who went to the prophet to be healed of his leprosy, she might well have said, I thought he would receive me very differently from this. But whatever he meant, there was one thing she could do, and she would. She could cry, Lord, help me. So she followed him with a breaking heart, crying and entreating. Send her away, said the disciples. She crieth after us. But Jesus was teaching these men the great lesson that God's love is not for a single class, but for every poor sinner that needs it and is willing to receive it. To bring this out clearly, Christ seems at first to take the other side of the question. He stopped so that the woman could come close up to him and then said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The poor woman had no answer to make to that. She could not argue with him. She had only one plea, 
the plea of the hungry little robin or the worm his mother brings him the plea of an open mouth in need and so she continued to cry lord help me then jesus spoke words for which mr pierce well says we need a phonograph bible surely the tones must have taken all its seeming harshness from the words looking into the depths of that great love for a moment jesus held the gift behind his back in order to draw forth the eagerness of this woman's desire that his disciples who were looking on might measure its fullness he said it is not meet to take away the bread from the children and to give it to the little dogs instantly her eyes flashed triumphantly she felt that the case was won of course not Lord, because the little dogs pick up the crumbs that fall from their master's table the woman's reply was more perfect than our version represents the new version gives the word for instead of yet use that word and you see that the woman agrees perfectly with what christ says in substance her reply was that is precisely it lord i alas am not one of thy children i cannot come in amongst thy favorite disciples i wish indeed i were i am not worthy to sit at thy table and to break bread with thee but my lord i am the little dog creeping in under thy table and looking up into thy face and expecting thee to let fall a crumb and as she answered him thus that anxious mother knelt at his feet and looked up at him her eyes shining through her tears her entreaty passing as she spoke now with assured confidence then as jesus bent and looked down upon her the love that seemed held back for a little while swept all barriers away it shone in his face and glistened in his eyes and rang in the words o woman great is thy faith be it unto thee even as thou wilt you see it was a blank check which jesus christ gave to this woman whatever you will he says you can have take it and that is just what god offers you in this text whatever you want enough you can have if it is good enough for god to give christ said to the woman take what thou wilt god says to you open thy mouth wide and i will fill it but don't fail to notice the result in the case of the story we have been following scarcely staying to think christ so eager was this poor woman about her little girl that she ran all the way home and found the devil gone out oh what a glorious discovery that was that trembling anxious mother jesus christ was manifested in this world to destroy the works of the devil when he is admitted he drives the devil out of the home and out of the heart and there is great peace now do not for a moment lose the special message which i bring you tonight the only special fitness 
that you require in order that you may be forgiven and saved is to feel your need of him. At the moment you say, I am not fit, that shows you do feel the need of the divine blessings which Christ can bestow. Again, when you say, I would begin to be a Christian at once, but I am so weak and I make so many resolutions and break them that I am afraid I could not hold out and would only make a failure of it. When you say that, it shows that you do feel your need of Jesus Christ. When a man knows he is not living the right kind of a life and confesses that he is afraid to profess anything better for fear he could not live up to it, it is a confession of his need of Jesus. Now the conditions for your salvation tonight are all met except one, which is in your hands, and you can supply the omission at once. The feast is already Christ prepared that long ago. The wedding garment is waiting for you. Christ has promised that if you will come to him, he will clothe you with a new heart and a righteous purpose and make you fit to sit at his table. There is just one thing lacking, and that is for you to accept the invitation. Nothing could be more gracious than the invitation. The invitation reads, Whosoever will may come. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Come, for all things are now ready. End of section 11. Read by Yolanda K. Descartes, New York, August 11, 2021.